Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 30. There are relatively short readings today. We're not going to spend uh, too long uh, reading the scriptures today. On another day that might change, but uh, we're going to read Mark chapter 4 and verse 30. This Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. He's continuing in these Psalms that he has been teaching uh, his disciples. And this is what he says. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown... It groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Amen. May God bless this reading of his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a teacher and that's an honourable profession. The gospel accounts of the Saviour's ministry often speak of him teaching those who came to him. He was a preacher of righteousness, he was a preacher of truth, but he was a teacher as well. He taught sitting in a boat, he taught on a mountain top, he taught in synagogues and in the temple, he taught in the highways and the byways, he taught crowds, he taught individuals, he taught on the Sabbath day, he taught in the weekdays, in high days and holy days. He taught multitudes in the towns and villages and cities. He preached to multitudes in Jerusalem. And he spoke individually to a single woman at a well. In fact, the Lord was always teaching someone. And his reputation as a teacher grew during the uh, years of his ministry. Both his message and his miracles lent to that increase of knowledge of the teacher that Jesus was. People were amazed at his doctrine because we are told he taught them as one that had authority. And you remember the man Nicodemus himself a leader and a teacher of the Jews who came and said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Master, he confessed him as a teacher. He said, we know that you have come from God. John chapter 3 verse 2 says, The same, that's Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And that's interesting because Nicodemus was a Pharisee and it was those same 
scribes and Pharisees that had come down from Jerusalem that accused Jesus of casting out devils by the prince of the devils. They had, they had done that that very day. The very day that the Lord had taught all of these parables to the multitude and, and, and specifically revealed them to his disciples was the day that these Jews had called Jesus effectively a devil working for the devils. They had blasphemed the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here was Nicodemus saying, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. Never underestimate the wickedness and the duplicity of Christ's enemies. But the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was a teacher begs a question. What are we going to do with the Lord's teaching? What will you and I do with the things that the Lord has taught? And I, and I, I say that because men and women imagine that they know intuitively about these matters of righteousness and faith, about God and belief, about heaven and hell. They believe that they know, really without thinking too much about it, what matters and what's important. Also, they think that what they know, what their opinions are, are of some relevance. They imagine that their opinions matter and what they feel and what they think is important. Well, I hate to pop your balloon, but what you think doesn't matter a bit. What matters is what the Lord Jesus Christ taught. And yes, there is a simplicity in the gospel, but that neither makes it easy to believe nor straightforward to understand. In fact, that's the whole point about this chapter 4 of Mark, that the Lord was teaching in parables that the people didn't understand. That's why he said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And it's this kingdom of God that the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples all about. What is the kingdom of God like? What can we compare the kingdom of God to? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And there's two very important points flow from this. The first one is this, that in these parables that the Lord Jesus Christ is using to teach about the kingdom of God, the new birth is a prerequisite for any knowledge of the kingdom of God whatsoever. We will know nothing of the kingdom of God until the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us by the giving of spiritual life. Remember what he said to the disciples in these previous verses, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. 
It was a gift that was given. It wasn't intuitively known. It wasn't gleaned from the experiences of life. It, it wasn't what you picked up in, in your, your, your school religious education, if you were listening at all. It wasn't what the, the, the noise of, of, of the, the, the popular religious activities teach about faith and God and heaven and hell. It is about the kingdom of God and it is about the grace of God in revealing these things to those who are born again. And what you believe doesn't matter one whit until and except the Lord has given it to you to understand the kingdom of God. Here's the second thing in this, with this, in this respect. Having been born again, we never stop learning about the kingdom of God. To learn anything about the kingdom of God, we must be born again. It must be revealed to us and given to us as a gift, a gift of grace. But having had that gift given to us, we never stop learning. And what better teacher could the disciples have? What better teacher could we have than he who rules that kingdom, whose kingdom it is, the God of that kingdom, who builds that kingdom, who preserves that kingdom, who protects that kingdom and defends it. The Lord Jesus Christ is our teacher. What will we do with him and his teaching? Let us learn at his footstool. Let us hear what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say. May God give us ears to hear and teachable spirits that we might so learn Christ, the power of his blood and the comfort of his righteousness. So here the Lord Jesus Christ's teaching continues. He's gathered his disciples around them and he teaches them the meaning of these parables thereby revealing the kingdom of God to them. He has already spoken three parables in their hearing on this same day, it would appear, educating and illuminating his disciples as to the nature of the gospel and its rule in the lives of God's elect people, his church. And now comes this fourth parable, this parable about the mustard seed. And I want you to notice something about all of these parables. And I trust we've stressed it in the previous occasions. But let me just say this again. The Lord speaks of success in each of these parables. And I want us to, to realise something about that. Here is the Lord. He's just beginning his ministry. He's got perhaps a three-year ministry ahead of him before he goes to the cross. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows why he has come into the world. And he knows what he is going to suffer. He knows what he's going to endure. And he knows what he is going to win. Win. He knows that he is going to succeed. And while there is much to be borne, while there is much prayer to go up to his father for help, he knows that he is going to win. He has faith in God that God will lead him through this experience. 
He was ready to take that cup of suffering and to drink it to the end. But he believed that he would be successful in the covenant purpose of God and that he would win his people, that he would see of the travail of his soul, as Isaiah says, and be satisfied. So the Lord was anticipating his own success when he speaks to his disciples about their success. He is speaking initially of the success of his own redemptive work on the cross and that he would pay for the sins of his people, that he would buy his people as it were, redeem his people out from under that uh, debt of sin, that that, uh, um, judgment of the law and he would liberate and free them having paid the ransom that was required. He anticipated that by telling his disciples that their own ministries would also be successful because their success was founded upon his success on the cross. So it's the successful gathering in of the church as the kingdom of God as a success of the sin bearer bearing away, carrying away our sins and our redemption being secured by his blood. His atonement being acceptable to God and his resurrection following that. And that's why the Lord says, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is speaking of his own confidence and the success that would flow from the work on the cross. Now, gospel success assured the fact that this was going to happen, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to die and and save his church and win his people and establish his kingdom, and that the disciples would then go out and bring in the individual members of that kingdom nevertheless does not prevent the disciples from feeling the weight of their own weakness and inadequacy and it doesn't stop them from fretting nor does it us we have promises given to us by god the word of god is full of promises the covenant of grace is established and sure david knew that it was settled in all things and sure And yet we still fret, we still worry, we still panic and we still become distracted by the things that go on around about us. Our success is assured. The success of the church is assured. The success of preaching is assured. And I think we are very blessed with a saviour who foresees our fears and is patient and long-suffering with us despite the multiple reassurances that he gives and our lack of trust and dependence upon them. And that's why there are multiple parables. That's why he repeats in so many different ways the same principles over and over again. The parable of the sower cautioned the disciples that there would be different reactions to the gospel that they preached as the seed fell into different ground types. But it would find good ground and it would be fruitful. 
the disciples were being taught that. The parable of the candle highlighted the fullness of the message that was to be preached. But it confirmed also that that message would light up the whole world. Why are we tempted to alter the message of free sovereign grace to make it acceptable, to make it uh, uh, palatable to what we perceive as the men and women of this world who have uh, utter and complete ignorance about the kingdom of God. When God taught his disciples that preaching the whole counsel of God, preaching the sovereign grace gospel was the means by which he would gather his church. The parable of the root and the shoot and the fruit taught the disciples that their task ends with the sowing of the seed and that spiritual life and spiritual growth and spiritual fruitfulness is a spiritual work of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God the Holy Spirit. Let us note Again, the emphasis on success. Despite all opposition, the work and ministry of the disciples would succeed. It is not when, or it is, I'm sorry, when. It is when and not if the fruit is brought forth. And, and you who believe today, you who are listening to my voice, who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the evidence. You are the fruit. After 2,000 years, you are the living testimony to the truth of the fulfillment of the Lord's guarantee to his disciples that they would sow that seed and they would leave it and the Lord would bring that seed to spiritual fruition. And this is the pattern that is maintained in this fourth parable also. The Lord's church and his people, as his disciples and apostles and as all preachers of the gospel, are assured of victory and their ministry success even before they start. And what free willer, what Arminian free willer can claim that promise? The Lord Jesus Christ says, my success is yours because I've won my people, I've redeemed my people. My people will be saved and your task is to declare that message and know that the kingdom of God will be established, will be gathered, will be built. That whole building. That whole kingdom will be brought together. How reassuring is that? How gracious of our Lord to do that for us. To, to, to give us all of these confirming testimonies. The apostles, they must have looked at the world in all of its darkness. The Jews steeped in their contrary legalism. The Gentile heathen immersed in idolatry men and women all over the world doing that which is right in their own eyes and convinced that they were doing right in their own eyes 
And the disciples, the apostles must have wondered, what can we do? What, what are we in the face of all of this? What can we do? And then they remembered what the Lord had told them. Preach the word. Plant a seed. And I will make it grow. And I will bring it to success. So let me show you a few things that this parable tells us about the sovereign grace preaching of the gospel and of the kingdom of God that Christ is gathering. And I want to do this in two parts, as it were. I want to, to, to just show you collectively as a church what we might see in this and also personally as individuals. So, so let me just think collectively, first of all, if you'll bear with me. What is it that the, we see from this little parable of the mustard seed that speaks to us as the people of God and speaks to us as the kingdom of God collectively? Well, here's one thing. That size doesn't matter to the Lord. How little is a grain of mustard seed? How little? Yet from that small seed, a great plant grows. That's the parable. It's hardly anything. It's almost, it's almost just two or three sentences. And that's it over. But a dozen apostles, a dozen preachers, turned the world upside down. And that's not my phrase. That's the enemies of the gospel's phrase. They turned the world upside down. What is it James says? Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. I think it's James. The Lord Jesus Christ sent his gospel all round the world to gather his Elect. It's as simple as that. The Lord's elect were scattered all around the world that he has sent his gospel to gather them in. Where are they? Where are they spread? In what country? In what family? In what tribe? In what city? How are they hidden? How can I look at any individual and say he's one of the Lord's people or he's not? What has become of the Lord's lost sheep? He calls them by the gospel preached. It's as simple as that. The seed is sown. It's caught in the wind. It falls. Who knows where? The Lord knows where. And he has prepared that ground. And he has sent that preacher. And he has taken that seed. And he has buried it deep. And he nurtures its growth. And he promises spiritual harvest. And that's the kingdom of God. And these are the effects of the true gospel. And Christ's glory is assured. Because he was successful on the cross, we will be successful in the preaching of his word. And here's another collective evidence of the, um, the success of the gospel. That is how it's always been. The true church of Jesus Christ is not a national power 
or an international movement. It's a few individuals, it's a few congregations strewn here and there. A small group that worships together, isolated and fragile. By all human criteria, it ought to vanish and disappear. But by, by all human thought, it can't persist. It won't, it won't last a generation. It'll fold. It'll fail. And yet here we are. And here is the gospel. Still, in 2021, going forth. Here is the evidence of grace. Here is a seed that springs up. Here is a shoot that grows. We know not how. So it has been and so it always shall be. You know, people in churches and their denominations and their congregations, they pray for revival and they call for national reformation and they hearken back to times of great awakenings and they, they ask for God to move in, in power and, 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 and bring the multitudes under the sound of his word. And yet the Lord says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And the implication of that question is, yes, but it will be small. There are many denominations, there are many churches, there are many parachurch organisations. There's so much energy, there's so much activity, there's so much done in the name of religion. But faith, true faith, the grace of faith, Where will we find that? May the Lord keep us faithful. Because without grace, not one of us could stand in that evil day. And yet the kingdom of God endures, despite the opposition. And it persists under the protection of her Lord and King. And she grows in harsh environments and she prospers in the truth okay those were the couple of points that I wanted to make regarding the collective work of the gospel and the collective success of the gospel within the kingdom of God let's think for a moment or two about some personal consequences and what that actually means to, to you and me individually for we are the Lord's precious people. We are the individuals who comprise the kingdom of God. We read together in the psalm about the grain of mustard seed that is sown. When it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches. Listen, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Okay, so we've thought about the fact that the Lord prospers it. But he prospers it to an end. What is that end? That the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. 
Who are these little birds that we find lodging under the shadow of this gospel? Well, these are the Lord's little ones. These are the elect of God. These are his numbered sparrows. Oh, I guess you probably saw yourself as, I don't know, a rainbow lorikeet or a bird of paradise or something. But you're just a little spiral. The Lord says in Luke chapter 12, verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ today, you're one of these little sparrows, one of these little birds, one of the fowls of the air that lodge under the shadow of the gospel and the kingdom of God. God doesn't forget his own, but in the kingdom of God, he provides for his little ones and he supplies their needs. In the kingdom of God, he provides for his little ones and he supplies their needs. We lodge under the shadow of the gospel. We lodge under the shadow of the kingdom of God that is successfully being gathered together by the means that God has appointed. Our fellowship, our union, perhaps it's our church affiliations, perhaps it's, it's, it's the, 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 the blessings of, of those things that the Lord has given to us in that fellowship of his people. It's the shelter that we have from our enemies. It's the comfort that we have in knowing that the Lord's people are praying for us. It's knowing that we have a usefulness in the family of God as we pray for one another and care for one another and intercede for one another and support one another and provide for one another. Here the blessings of grace and gospel provision are real and solid and nurturing as the Lord causes that little seed to grow and he causes the benefits of that growing seed to nurture and support and protect the little birds. The gospel gives many personal blessings. Now don't panic here, okay? Because I've chosen five that I'm going to enumerate, but they're quick. So don't worry, all right? We're going to get there. Those who lodge under the shadow of the gospel, they have forgiveness of sin. How we have sinned against God. How we have sinned against each other. How we have corrupted our minds and our bodies and our souls and our spirits. How we've sold ourselves for the vanities of this life and got nothing for it in return that pleases us or satisfies us. But here is a blessing for those who lodge under the shadow of the kingdom of God and the gospel of God. In Christ, our sins are gone. Christ, our substitute, stands in our place. In Christ, we have a sin bearer who has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. And he has brought in that 
soul-cleansing blood. And he has brought in our forgiveness from our sin. That is a blessing. That is a protection that comes to those individuals, those little birds who lodge under the shadow of the gospel. Here's the second one. Not only have we forgiveness of sins, we have peace of conscience. Guilt is a terrible companion. We look back on our failures. We look back on our betrayals. We look back on our compromises and we look with shame. But God in bringing forgiveness also applies a peace of conscience for guilty hearts and guilty minds. Justice finds no sin when Christ has taken it away. And God sees no sin in the people that he has cleansed. And Satan's accusations, they no longer land the heavy blows that they once did because Christ is our substitute and Christ has taken our place. If the Lord Jesus Christ died for you, your sin is gone, carried away upon his shoulders, never to be remembered against you again, eternally forgiven and everlastingly forgotten. And that's a blessing that comes to those who lodge under the shadow of the gospel. Peace of conscience coupled with forgiveness of sins. Here's the third one. Acceptable righteousness. Not only are our sins removed, but we have a justifying righteousness and an acceptable holiness with God. And it is an acceptance that is all we shall ever need. God himself supplies the righteousness of God in Christ. And it is the only righteousness acceptable with God. And the only one we shall ever require. To be cleansed by the blood of Christ and clothed in the righteousness of God is to rest under the shadow of gospel truth. Works cannot earn this righteousness. Money can't buy it. It must be the free gift of God and it must be provided by him to be acceptable to him. Christ Jesus is of God made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is the gospel gift of God's grace. This is sovereign grace and this is the grace and this is the righteousness that makes the difference. We have in Christ the forgiveness of sins, peace of conscience, an acceptable righteousness and those who lodge under the shadow of the gospel have promised joys. The knowledge of these things brings joy to all who believe. Joy despite hardship. Joy that is founded on trusting 
God's faithfulness and his promises in the gospel. Grace sufficient now and glory untold to come. The elect of God can endure much in this life, can endure much in this world under the shadow of gospel promises guaranteed by God himself. This is what it is to lodge under the shadow of the kingdom of God. And finally, we have grounds for hope. The final blessing of resting under the shadow of the cross, under the shadow of Christ, is that we may take our burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Are you burdened for your soul? Take it to the Lord. Are you burdened for your children's souls? Take it to the Lord. Are you anxious for your health? Take it to the Lord. Are you fearful for the future? Take it to the Lord. Peter, who was sitting here having these things explained to him by the greatest teacher of all time, says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. What a privilege to be able to take our cares to the sovereign God, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Okay, one more thought and then I'm done. Despite all that I have said about the blessings that flow to the little birds that lodge under the shadow of the gospel, I acknowledge that the actual experience of the Lord's people seems different. But I want to stress that word, seems, because it is not as it appears. You remember what the Lord has been teaching us about spiritual growth we could get up day and night and never see this happening. We never see that growth in grace because it happens secretly. The gifts that the Lord gives to these little birds, the gifts that he gives to his elect in the kingdom of God, the gifts of forgiveness of sin and, and, and peace of conscience and, conscience and, and righteousness with God and the, the, the joy of the Lord and, and hope in the promises of God, they, they rarely announce themselves to our consciousness. What we feel is our immediate need of help, often long before we discern the hand of God in our circumstances. But let us be assured that these blessings and this growth in grace and this help and all of these blessings are the real and tangible effect of the presence of God in our lives and our inclusion in the kingdom of God. These blessings will be revealed through faith under the preaching of the gospel and in the fellowship of the Lord's people and of the Lord himself. 
The Lord is a teacher. That's where we began. And he teaches these truths to his people. And he comforts us and he strengthens us and he equips us by these truths to labour in his kingdom and to be of service to one another. Mark writes, When they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Let us get alone with Christ. Let us get alone with the Lord's people. Let us get alone together with the saints of God underneath the preaching of the gospel and in the kingdom of God. And may the Lord Jesus Christ expound these truths to our hearts. And may he illuminate our minds. And may he teach us his way that we may walk in it. And if the Lord will be our teacher, then we shall be well taught in the scriptures of the things concerning himself. Amen. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us.